If you don't know me, my name's uh, Pastor Jake, and I'm just I'm really uh, looking forward to sharing this message with you. I want to be sharing on prayer specifically. I want to be zooming in on uh, the first uh, verse in the Lord's Prayer that's found in Matthew six. So if you have your Bibles, you can flip the open to that. You get a little bit of head start. Um, but ultimately, we're going to be praying, uh, sharing a sermon. It's called "Pray Like This," and so it's not a full teaching on the Lord's Prayer, but it's a kind of zoomed in on one part. And I want to kind of just start off by by appealing to my Facebook users in the room. I imagine most of you have a Facebook account. And some of you may have seen a post like this. It says something to the effect of like 98% of the people can't solve this problem. Raise your hand if you've seen a problem like this like on, on Facebook. Okay, I'm going to give you a little hint, okay, or a little tip. Um, that's not a true statistic. Most of the times you see that, they're just trying to get you to stop. Because they want you to stop so that you can, I want to be the 2%. They want you, they're trying to appeal to your, your inner ego so that you stop and prove that you get the right answer. But So they'll, they'll have a problem, math problem like this, and like 90% of people can't solve this. And then you're like, well, I can solve it. And then you go back and you're like, oh, crap. There's this thing called the order of operations. What goes first? Oh, my gosh. I, I don't remember. Then all of a sudden, this, this phrase in the back of your mind, it's like, please excuse my dear Aunt Sally, just comes at the back. Does anyone remember that? Anyone remember that? There's this acronym called PEMDAS, and it means, it's basically the order of operations, and it tells you how to solve like a math equation like this. And so it'd go like parentheses, exponents, multiplication, division, addition, subtraction. You do it in order. For those of you that have forgotten this long ago, that's your uh, little review on fourth grade math. But, or maybe fifth grade. But anyway, so you'd, you'd solve this problem. So parentheses, you do nine minus six, it's three. And then you go to exponents, no exponents, multiplication. So okay, 12 times three, that's 36. Then you go division. So you hop over here, you go 12 divided by six, that's two. So you do 36 minus two equals 30. 34 plus 9 equals 43. Okay. Did I lose you? I got to practice that before this message, so okay, don't be that impressed. But, uh, so that's the, that's the right answer to that equation, and the reason I share that with you is because the Lord's Prayer, although it's not a, it's not a, a math problem that you can get the right answer with, the Lord's Prayer does give you, in a sense, an order of operations that you can operate from in your prayer life. It gives you a template, or we might say it gives you the ingredients for effective prayer. It gives you the ingredients to pray in a way that would honor Jesus and get results that glorify the kingdom of God. And so the ingredients are there, the order is there, and it's up to us to follow. And so when we break down the Lord's Prayer, we see the order, the importance, the values that God has, but also the value and the heart and the relationship that he wants to develop with us. And so I, a few years ago, I had the honor of driving Rick Renner around. You guys know Rick Renner. And I remember I was like, I knew I was going to drive him around, and so like, I remember I like penned some like questions. I didn't want to like bombard him, you know, like you don't want to be like that guy's like asking him questions the whole time and like, anno like annoying him. And so I wrote down some questions and I was just waiting for like the perfect moment to like ask him like these questions. And, and I can tell you right now, I asked him one of the questions was like, what's up with Ananias and Sapphira? You know what I'm talking about? Like you go to the passage in Acts and like they lie and then they just die. We're not going to talk about that tonight. But that was one of the questions I had for him. And I want you to put yourself in a frame of mind that if you could ask Jesus, 
this. Like, imagine Jesus was like right here, and imagine like you're sitting in a chair, and then he's sitting in a chair right here, okay? And then I want you to imagine yourself asking Jesus, like I was anticipating asking Rick Renner. I want you to imagine yourself asking Jesus, how should I pray? Right? Now I want you to imagine your body language and what that body language would be like to like lean into Jesus and hear how he would instruct you to pray, to live a life that would actually honor and glorify and ultimately just be an amazing life. And the crazy thing about us living in a culture that we're, where we're almost like, like what, uh, scriptures are white noise, and specifically the Lord, Lord's Prayer is like white noise, that we don't lean in like we should when we read Matthew 6. We just think like, oh, it's the Lord's Prayer. Like, for example, like when I was in high school, I played football and I played at Granville High School. And at, before every game at a public school and where my coach, who was previously during the warm-ups and stuff, was dropping F-bombs, he'd bring in the whole, the whole team and he's like, okay, guys, let's say the Lord's Prayer. You're <laughs> just like, wait a minute, like we're in the public school. No, none of us are Christians. I mean, I was a Christian, maybe a few other Christians, but 90% of the, the players aren't Christian. We're in a public school and yet we gather in the locker room and we say the Lord's Prayer. This is weird, right? Like it almost, it, it pollutes the meaning and the weight that the Lord's Prayer can actually have in our lives and our building the relationship with Christ because of how familiar it is. And so this Matthew 6 passage, though, gives us a framework in order to build a dynamic, rich, alive, uh, answer-filled uh, answer life where our, our prayers are actually answered. Because our prayers weren't meant just to be sent. <laughs> they were meant to actually be answered in relationship with Christ. And I believe that this template or this, this, uh, these ingredients make it so that our prayer life is actually exciting and rich and, and awesome. And so let's just read it and then we'll kind of break it down and go from there. So it says this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And so as I break down this thing, I'm going to break it down really quick before I zoom into this first part right here. I'm going, to, I'm going to help us notice that at first it says, Our Father, so we're focused on God in heaven. And then it says, Hallowed be your name. So it's like holy, set apart as his name. And then it says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the first part, the first section is all about God. I think we should take note of that. So in Jesus' style of prayer, it starts with him. Look at the last part. It says, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. So the last part is about us. It's important. Prayer is a personal edification or it's meant for personal edification but how we start is important. Jesus teaches us that we start with God and end with us. So that's kind of an overview but as we focus in on tonight is Matthew 6 where it says, our Father in heaven hallowed be your name. So our, in our prayer life, we are supposed to start with these ideas, not these words. There's nothing special and inherently about these words, but it's really about the meaning that Jesus uh, has behind these words. Our Father in heaven, 
hallowed be your name. So really today we're talking about in prayer, we build a relationship with our holy father, with our holy father. So Jesus could have used an infinite number of ways to describe God when he was teaching his disciples how to pray. He could have said like, almighty, powerful creator God. Or he could have said something like, the God of wisdom. The God. He could have used an, a number of different adjectives to describe or different ways to describe God and how we should pray. I find it interesting that Jesus uses the phrase Father to teach us how to pray. He doesn't instruct us to say God. He doesn't instruct us to identify him as Yahweh. He doesn't instruct us to identify him as anything else. He instructs us to address God in prayer as Father. I'm letting it sit because it's so simple. But sometimes when it sits, you realize that's like that's all I have to say about that. Like there's nothing else to say other than he wants you and I not to pray that he's our father, but in praying that he's our father that we would actually experience that he's our father. And that in not just theologically understanding that we are sons of God or daughters of God, but we would truly, uh, spiritually experience being fathered by the Creator. And that we would build a relationship not with a distant, uh, omniscient, all-powerful God, but with with a close, all-powerful, all-loving Father. Because Jesus reveals that God is a loving father. And in prayer, we build a relationship with our heavenly father. And so Jesus uses the word father to instruct Christians on how to start off their prayer. It's important that we start off this way. I also would like to note and and point out here that when Jesus is teaching us how to pray, he doesn't actually teach you to ask for forgiveness for your sins first. So many times in Western culture, we're so guilt-driven that before we feel we can enter God's presence, we feel we must repent of our sin that we committed that day, that week, or that month. But you notice that forgiving, asking God to forgive your sins doesn't take place until you first identify yourself as a son apart from your sin that you, that you committed. Isn't that interesting? That we often get it so backwards because we're like, man, I screwed up with this or that. I looked here. I looked there. I had a gossip thought. I did this. I drank too much. I, maybe I was tempted with weed and I smoked weed. Whatever, whatever sin that you, that you find yourself uh, being bent towards, we're not ranking sins at this point. But so often when we sin, we feel like, well, okay, before I can actually approach God, I better just make sure that he knows that I am sorry for that. Because I, I, just, I just need him to know that I'm sorry. And then we feel this guilt. But Jesus, Jesus says, no, actually, you're a son in the midst of your sin. You're a daughter in the midst of your failure. 
And the more that we think that our behavior determines our identity, the less we understand of the nature of our Father. See, Jesus is showing us that the identity of the Christian is so based on the grace of God, the identity of the Christian is so based on the grace of God that Jesus teaches us to pray our Father in heaven before anything else. Now, there is a place, I will say, for all you people that are freaked out, they're like, oh, Jake is teaching a hyper-grace message. That's not what I'm teaching. There is a place to confess your sin, but it's not till after you secure your identity or you remind yourself the identity that Christ has purchased for you and for us as children of God. Give me a thumbs up if it's making sense. Right on. So our Father. Okay, this is what it says in Romans 8. It says, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are God's, or his children, we are his heirs. And so here we see the teaching or the truth that we have been adopted into God's family. We are not just Christians, we are children. We are not just servants, we are heirs. We are not just floating through this, this earth and floating through life trying to be as moral as possible. We are actually adopted into a family and prayer is the avenue in which we are convinced, not by earning it, but through a spiritual exchange in which we get connected to the Heavenly Father and now He infuses His DNA his perspective, his heart, into us as his children, we're also called the body of Christ. And so to kind of shift gears here a little bit, I'm a huge basketball fan. Uh, um, I love, I just love basketball. I, I love the NBA. I know there's a lot of people that are like boycotting the NBA. I love the NBA. Like I really love basketball. I played college basketball at Grace Bible College. And uh, growing up, my favorite basketball player was Tracy McGrady. Like Tracy McGrady was like my, like I, like I have all the cards. I have so many rookie cards. I collected his cards, knew his stats. Like I know, like Tracy McGrady was my all-time favorite player. Fun facts, he was a seven-time all-star. He was drafted right out of high school. Now I, like I was youth pastor. I know the graduates and all the 18-year-olds. And like, I'm like, man, I can't imagine these 18-year-olds playing in the NBA and making like $13 million a year. They, like That's crazy being drafted into the NBA right out of high school. So he's drafted right out of high school. He was like a two-time scoring champ. He actually, in one game, this, I remember, like I watched this game. I remember watching the highlights. Like he scored, he was, his, his team was down 12 points with 35 seconds to go. And he scored 13 points in 35 seconds. Like it was insane. It was against the San Antonio Spurs. Like it's legendary, like legendary NBA moment. And he's just my favorite player. Um, Funny thing about, oh, he's also cousins with Vince Carter, if you guys know Vince Carter, Vince Sanity, uh, Air Canada. But I don't got a lot of basketball fans in here. I'm trying to get some, like, someone who, like, to, to hop in with me here and be like, whoop, whoop, and I got nothing. Okay, so anyway, but funny thing about, like, Trace McGrady, like, I'm, I'm imagining myself, like, walking into Chick-fil-A off, like, 54th Street or something like that, right? And then all of a sudden I see, like, I, what, if, what if I saw Trace McGrady there? And I was like, Tracy! 
T-Mac. And I was like, dude, bro, long time. He'd be like, who the heck are you? I'd be like, Tracy, it's me, Jake. Remember, drafted out of Mountain Zion Christian High School, 13 points, 35 seconds, seven-time All-Star, two-time scoring champ, cousin of Vince Carter. It's me, Jake. Like, sorry, I do not know you. <laughs> like, like who, I, who are you? And here's the point. Just because you know information about someone does not mean you know that person. Just because you know information about God does not mean that you know him. So in prayer... We turn information about God into a relationship with God. So many people have been taught that God is their father. Less people have gone to God in prayer and said, show me that you're my father. Many people have sang the song, Father Abraham has many sons, many sons as Father Abraham, and I have one of them, so are you, so let's all praise the Lord. Amen, right? Many people have sang the songs that we are a child of God. Many people have sang the songs that we sing up here. The songs, I am a child of God. You split the sea so I could walk right through it. Like we sing these songs, right, that, that teach theological truth. Less people have gone into the, the secret place where no one's watching with desperation saying, this needs to be more than just information. And then I feel like I'm being drawn by a greater force, a greater love to understand what it means for God to be my father. And this only happens in prayer. You can't, like, you can't come up and have Pastor Dwayne pray for you. You can't come up and have me pray for you. You can't have anyone pray for you that you would understand this. It actually is something that, the reason why you can't happen because God doesn't want it to come through. He wants it to come from him. Because you're his son, you're his daughter. And and his spirit cries out to your spirit that you are children of God. So let's quiet ourselves and let's dedicate time and space and prayer to, to, to anchor ourselves in the identity that God's made us to be. And what I fear in American culture and in my own life is what was happening to the church that Timothy was pastoring Um, And not just about philosophy or any other cultural trends, but this is what 2 Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy about their culture. It says they were always learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And that's what a prayerless life will do for you. A life deficit of prayer doesn't mean you don't know things or doesn't mean you're not learning things or doesn't mean that you're not learning theological truth going to Bible college or even being a pastor for that sake. A prayerless life will ultimately lead to learning with no truth. Because Jesus says in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So if you, he is the truth, then there's no way that we can know the truth apart from relationship and connection and devotion and communion with him in prayer. Now, 
I'll say this at this point, I'm not trying to spank anyone. <laughs> like, I'm not trying to say, I'm not trying to like assume that nobody prays. That's not the point. I, I also, I do know my life that, it, that it's sometimes like, it's hard to like pray. Pastor Dwayne teaches like, if prayer was so easy, more people would do it. <laughs> like, but the point is, is I'm trying to spank anyone. I'm trying to like really inspire, encourage, and say, listen, your, the best life, your true life is found in the secret places of prayer where you separate yourself from your phone, your kids, your job, your, your crazy thought life, and you come to God and allow him to show you that you're his father and that he does not require anything of you other than you bring yourself. And he is masterful in the way that he teaches us to grow and learn. I was actually, Nick and I, Nick Mayo and I were talking months ago. This is probably in January that we were talking at Wild Roast Coffee and then uh, we were talking about this idea of prayer and theology and whatnot and how people like can get into theology but they're actually, they don't love God, they just love being right and all these different ideas that human humans get into. And, and this, he said a phrase that I think he stole from someone else but I'm just gonna give it, attribute it to him. Um, <laughs> he said, true theology always leads to doxology. True theology or true understanding of God always leads to doxology, which is worship of God. So when you truly understand God as our Father, it will lead you to worship God as your Father. Truly, spiritual understanding is, is what we aim for. So the first part of this prayer is our Father in heaven. The second part of this prayer is hallowed be thy name or hallowed be your name. I remember growing up and this part kind of confused me. <laughs> this part, like I, the only word hollow was like something being hollow. Does that make sense? Like empty. And so I was always confused about this part of the prayer because I always thought it meant like empty is your name. And I was like, I don't want to question the Bible, but that doesn't seem right to me. <laughs> Although it wasn't the Bible's mistake. It was my own uh, ignorance or, or foolishness or just lack of understanding. So um, to hollow, what does it mean to hollow? So to hollow would be to acknowledge, respect, or revere, or to separate from secular things. So to hollow a perfect diamond ring the jeweler places it in a separate, secure container from the ordinary diamonds. To hollow something is to separate it from the things that are ordinary. It's something that is special that gets taken, revered, respected, and, and, and there's an awe and wonder aspect to it that is separate from everything else that's ordinary or to separate from secular or ordinary things. Another, another word is profane things. And so to hollow God's name is to treat it with respect, reverence, and unique awe and wonder. And so a better way to understand a word, or a way to help yourself understand a word like hollow be your name or hallowed be thy name is to actually look at the opposite of what it would mean to do the thing that you're describing. I'll explain. So to, to un better understand hollow, well, let's look at the opposite of hollow. So the opposite of hollowing God's name is to treat it as ordinary. This hits, hit, this hits home more for me. 
This hits home for me. Because sometimes we're like, yeah, God's awesome. I have total awe and wonder of God. Of course, he created the universe. But when you look at the opposite, when you look at the contradiction, the word of God starts to cut you. And you say, do I, do, do I treat God as ordinary? Do I treat him as just like another diamond, just like another thing? Do I treat him similarly to how I treat my family or I treat a different philosopher or how I treat a different teacher, a Bible teacher, like a, a pastor? Do I treat him similar as I treat other things in my life? And so you might say, well, maybe, but that's okay. We're human. <laughs> we have the ability to be human. And so the point is, if that's the case, then we have to actually ask Jesus and ask God to teach us, how do I hollow your name? So many times as Christians, we don't want to look foolish. And so we're like, yeah, we know how to do that. Yeah, I know how to hollow God's name. Just all in wonder. Whoa. Whoa, God. You know what I mean? Like, we just pretend like we know what these religious terms are because we don't want to look dumb and foolish in front of everyone else. But I'll just, I'll just be the first to say, I don't know what it means to hollow God's name. Like, I, like I, practically speaking, for me, it might look like something for someone else, but for me to genuinely express awe and wonder to God, that's a little bit foreign to me. So in prayer, I don't need to know how to. I actually go to the Father and I say, God, how do you, like, how do I do this? Like, how do I hollow your name so that it's not just my standard, but there's actually a genuine expression from the depths of my soul that, 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 that is actually honoring to you as creator God, Jesus, who, who came as God himself, humbled himself. How can I express that in a genuine way towards you? How can I do that? And you Build a relationship with God through asking him how he wants to be worshipped instead of us just having American or Western ideas of what it means to worship. And so hollowing is not a three-step process, but instead a relationship that we develop in exchange with our Father who's not silent, who wants to exchange and communicate with us and how to actually worship and hollow and, and be in awe and wonder of who he is. It is not normal for humans to be in awe and wonder of God. It is normal for humans to be selfish, self-centered, and to treat God as ordinary. It is normal. That's our fleshly desire. And so it takes the spirit of God to teach us how to be, uh, how to be competent to worship God in spirit and in truth. Jesus says it this way. He says, I'm looking for uh, spiritual worshipers. He says, he's talking to the woman at the well and he's saying, there's going to come a day that my worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. And so there's the truth of God's name being hollowed, but there's also the spiritual component in which there was a new environment for Christians in which now they could actually spiritually worship God because they were regenerated. We're born again. We have God's spirit. We have his identity. We have his nature. We are heirs. We have his inheritance. Now we can offer through a connection spiritual worship to God. This is a great, this is great news. It means that church is no longer about, or Christianity is no longer coming to church 
It's not, my job is not to teach you. My job is to equip you to go home and lead your families lead, and inspire your coworkers and be filled with all the fullness of Jesus so that your life is not just uh, uh, consist of coming to church to be filled up, but you actually get filled up every day by the true source of life, who is Jesus, who is Emmanuel, God with us. This is the gospel that penetrates cultures to where, in, like the fastest growing churches in the world aren't, aren't in America. They're in Iran. They're in Iraq. They're in China. They're in South Korea. They're in all these places across the world where the, our type of learning doesn't take place. This Christianity is exploding throughout the world. It's because people are gripping this idea that it's not about gathering to learn. It's about gathering to love and to shine and to be sharpened so that we go and build a relationship with Jesus, not just on our own, but with community and with our brothers and sisters. And so one of the ways that I've learned to pray, hallowed be your name. This is just something that I've learned. An expression that I, that, I, that I say to Jesus and I say to God, like genuinely, this is my expression. You can have a different one. Like I said, we go to God and we learn these things. I say, God, there's no one like you. There's no one like you. Like out of all the people, all the wonderful people that I know in my life, all the, like out of all the people, out of anyone, out of... God, anything that I've ever experienced, God, I've never met a man who hung on the cross and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. I've never met a man who on their own would, would wash his disciples' feet and humble himself, but at the same time have so much power to heal the sick, so much power to stand in the face of, of, of political leaders and the Pharisees, have so much strength to stand in conviction. He wasn't a doormat. He was strong and he was fierce, but yet at the same time, he was a lover of people and he was a lover of humanity and he didn't love his own life unto death and he loved, lived and died and resurrected in submission to the Father. I've never met anyone like that in my whole life and he is worth not just my dying he is worth my living this is Jesus to say there is no one like you there is no one like you and if you don't know the scriptures that well that's okay read the gospels and you'll see Jesus and you can just say stop and say wow there is no one like you you can hollow his name right there as you're reading the new testament another way that I like to put this this is just a funny story um I'm using some basketball references today. There was a guy, he actually went to Trinity Christian, played in the NBA. His name's Chris Kamen, okay? Chris Kamen, he, he's retired now, but Chris Kamen played for the LA Clippers. I think he played for the Pelicans. I think he played for the Mavericks. Uh, his most successful uh, time of his career was in the Clippers. He was an all-star. He was a solid basketball player. He played for Trinity Christian. And... And so I went, my, my whole family went to Trinity. I actually went to Granville, but all my four brothers went to Trinity. And I remember I met Chris, I got to meet Chris. There was like this big event and they were like, oh, come meet Chris Kamen. And so he's seven foot one inches tall. Okay, I'm six one. That's like a foot taller than me. Who's like five foot one, Larry, right? And imagine like the difference, right? You're five foot one, okay. Five foot three, okay, close enough. So seven foot one's like pretty tall. And now I was in fourth grade when I met him, maybe fifth grade. And I remember meeting him and I remember walking into this room and he was there. And I remember like the feeling 
that I have towards Jesus when I say there's no one like you is like similar to how I felt in the moment when I met Chris Gaiman as a fifth grader. I remember like, I'm probably like this tall. So I'm like, I'm probably like this tall, right? And you're just like walking in. You're just like a fifth grader. You're like, I'm going to meet an NBA player. And you're like, whoa! You're just like, there is no one like you. Like, I thought my dad was tall. Like, you are huge. Look at, put your hand up. Oh my gosh, your hands are huge. You are massive, there is no one like you. And I remember just the feeling of like, there is no other human specimen that could ever compare to you. You're a mass, I remember that feeling and I remember I was in prayer one time and God like brought, he like, we're like you know how God can like bring you back? He's just like, woo, woo, and he brings me back and I'm just like, to Jesus, he's like, you know like your bodily reaction to what it felt like to be in the presence of someone so big. He says, I wanna give you that experience with me so that's not just religious, it's like a bodily expression that you can't help. That you just say, there's no one like you, God. Like You can't hold it back because your body has seen the magnificence, has seen the beauty, has seen the truth, has seen the love of God. And your body can't actually hold it back because you've seen, you've seen, not because you've earned it, because God has shown himself through Christ and you're desperate to see him and know him. This is what it means to hollow his name. Not a religious act, but a bodily. Like I can't hold this back of how wonderful and awe and, and, and just mighty my God is. But the thing is, I can't give you that. I can try to tell you what I've encountered, but I can't give you that. Only God can give you that if we yield ourselves to the lifestyle of prayer that Jesus instructs us to live in in the Lord's Prayer. Oh, I haven't preached that hard in a while. Praise God. I'll end with this. In prayer, we build a relationship. We don't, we don't do no check a box to say I prayed. In prayer, we build a relationship with our Holy Father. One that no one can take away. One that no one can else build for us. And one that Jesus is crying out to build with you. You don't owe Jesus anything. He gave it all for us. So that we might be filled with the actual eternal life of Jesus. And live a life that is so separate, so different, so beautiful. That the world looks upon us and says there is something different about these people. They're filled with life. Would you guys bow your heads and close your eyes with me? If you're here today and you want to be filled with that life, like your body cries out for that life, for that peace, for that aliveness, that clarity, it can be given to you literally in a moment. Not because you earn it or you say the right prayer but because Jesus is faithful to save and make people new. Our sin and our brokenness is what separates us from God. And Jesus, by his grace, came to this planet, died on a cross, and rose from the dead to defeat death and everything attached to it. Depression. 
defeat addiction. And if you're here and you are separate from God, you are not in a relationship, not in a good place with God, and you would like to extend your hand that God would meet you here today to be saved, on the count of three, I'm asking you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Raise your hand. Awesome. Well, let's pray to close here. I'm just going to pray that this message and and what Jesus shows us in the Lord's Prayer would be solidified in us and that he would lead us to continue or to start building a dynamic relationship with him in private prayer. So Heavenly Father, I just thank you, God, for your grace that's sufficient. And I just pray in the name of Jesus that you would lead each and every one of us to desire connection with you. God, that you would would bless and increase the kingdom and spiritual desires that we have, that you would bring them to the forefront of our priorities and our minds. God, that we would search and be desperate to know you and to build a relationship with you through prayer. And I thank you for just crushing shame and condemnation and that there is no sin, there is no failure, there is, no, there is nothing, God, that can separate us from you. All it takes is for us to humble ourselves, to approach you, and to allow you to start to change us. So God, we thank you for the truth that's in Christ, and we thank you for loving us first. In Jesus' name, amen.